From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. My name is Richard Serrett and I'm glad you found me. This is a program dedicated to the proposition that there is more to this world than you can see, hear, touch, smell, taste. It's a a program dedicated to people like you. People who are scrabbling around in the dark, looking for light, searching for truth. And I don't have to tell you, it's no easy task. Just look at us. Self-empowerment author Michael Elner wrote, Everything is backwards. Everything is upside down. Doctors destroy health. Lawyers destroy justice. Universities destroy knowledge. Governments destroy freedom. The major media destroy information. And religion destroys spirituality. Sometimes sitting in this chair, behind this microphone, I feel a little like Howard Beale from Network. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work. We're scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the streets. And there's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do. And there's no end to it. You remember the speech. It's true. The headlines are grim. My uh, colleague Stephen Lendman in Chicago writes, Ukraine, potential flashpoint for global war. We have Russian troops moving into Crimea. And we have neocons in Washington and their allies abroad trying to pry Ukraine loose from Russia's sphere of influence. Imagine the United States telling Putin to stay out of Crimea. That's like Putin telling the U.S. to stay out of Canada. Can you imagine picking a fight with Russia? Sure, let's put boots on the ground in the Crimea and see if we can march on Stalingrad in the dead of winter. Has that ever been tried before? Hmm... Gerald Salente, a publisher of the Trends Journal, who was on this program last week, just penned an article, Putin, Ukraine, World War III, and Einstein's warning. You remember Einstein's warning, right? I know not what weapons World War III will be fought, but World War IV will be fought with sticks and stones. I don't know about you, but I have this nagging feeling that what's been happening in Ukraine going back to November of 2013 when the protests began, we're not getting the real story. We've been led to believe that this was a a populist uprising pitting ordinary impoverished Ukrainians against a corrupt and brutal regime. And there was that uh, YouTube video that went viral, I'm Ukrainian, featuring a beautiful young Ukrainian protester pleading for the West to help Ukrainians fight for democracy. Well, it turns out That was a giant PR hoax with ties to the Council on Foreign Relations. So I thought, let's find out what's really going on over there before it's too late. And to shed some much-needed clarity on the situation, I've enlisted an old friend of the program. Webster Griffin Tarpley is one of the most incisive critics of Anglo-American hegemony. As an an activist historian, is best known for his book, George Bush, The Unauthorized Biography, a masterpiece of research which is still a must-read. He's a 9-11 truth scholar, an activist, summa cum laude and a Phi Beta Kappa, Fulbright scholar at University of Turin, Italy, an MA in humanities from Skidmore College. He's fluent in Italian, German, French, Latin, and Russian. Russian? (laughs) I could go on. 
But here, with no further ado. Webster Tarpley, how are you, my friend? Thank you, Richard. It's good to talk to you. The recent events in the Ukraine, the tragic events in Ukraine, have been portrayed in the West uh, by the media, let's say, as uh, essentially a populist uprising, everyday ordinary Ukrainians uh, protesting, pitted against some evil, corrupt you know, government. You see things in an entirely different light, I know. Give me... Uh, give me your version in, in, in a, and break it down for us in, in simple and easy-to-understand terms. Well, people may remember 10 years ago there was the Orange Revolution in Kiev, uh, Ukraine, and that led to the creation of a government that tried rather hard to be a NATO puppet state but didn't quite succeed. But that had all the trappings of a typical color revolution with slogans and colors and uh, trendy kids camping on the square and so forth. This time around, it's much uh, uglier because the the dominant forces, I'm afraid, in this Maidan or Euro-Maidan, the occupation of the main square, have from the very beginning been in traditions, coming from traditions which we could only call fascist or in some cases, they go back to the uh, Nazi occupation of Ukraine. And in, in particular, um, the tradition that is very much alive in one of them is, is a group called Right Sector. And the Right Sector is really right. I'll tell you something more about them. But their, their tradition is a guy called Stepan Bandera, who was a Ukrainian who went to work for the uh, Nazi SS and... Um, waged war against the Soviets, and uh, and then took refuge in Munich, where he worked for uh, Radio Free Europe, and according to some accounts, he directed uh, what, what they would call guerrilla warfare, what we might call terrorism uh, today. So if we look just uh, to get to the, the current situation, right, the background is, of course, absolutely critical, but right now you have a government that it, it seems to be dominated by the friends of Yulia Timoshenko, the blonde woman uh, that you saw getting out of jail over this past weekend. Yulia Timoshenko, the gas princess, right? Your typical former blonde, prime minister, former prime minister former of Ukraine. Former prime minister. She was the big beneficiary of the, of the Orange Revolution. She's a kleptocrat. She's the gas princess. And she counts as an oligarch. She's a, she's a multi-millionaire in the hundreds of millions or indeed a billionaire. And then she's got her two uh, key men there that, that she uh, controls. One is the uh, prime minister, this guy Yatsenyuk, and of course Yatsenyuk is the one we heard Victoria Nuland of the U.S. State Department, right, in her famous foul-mouthed telephone call. She talked about Yats, and Yats is uh, this Yatsenyuk, right, bald head and glasses. And then uh, the uh, the president of the country, the interim president, they call him, uh, Tuachinov. He's another uh, friend of uh, Timoshenko. So they're all from this thing called the Fatherland Party. The other guy you've probably seen is this very tall, very big heavyweight boxer. He's, according to some accounts, he is the heavyweight boxing champion of the world right now, Klitschko. And his party is called Udar, and Udar, appropriately enough, means the punch. So he's from the punch party. I'm afraid this poor guy has got, um, he's taken too many hits to the head. He seems to be a punch-drunk palooka 
book and hardly put two sentences together. Okay, but uh, get... let me just let me stop you there for a minute and remind listeners: Webster Tarpley is with us, uh, author, uh, historian, and uh, a critic of U.S. foreign policy. His website: tarpley.net, T-A-R-P-L-E-Y.net, and you can read all his latest dispatches on the situation in Ukraine. Uh, I mean, this is not to suggest that. There, there, there weren't legitimate protesters in Kiev with legitimate grievances, but you're saying that this whole movement has been, once again, as we've seen, history repeating itself, this movement has been co-opted by these far-right, some might say neo-Nazi groups. Yes, and, and I'm afraid this entire thing was much darker from the very beginning. It was, um, it, it didn't have this, excuse me, upbeat, um, you know, happy young people on a spree overtone. It, this was always rather sinister. So you got you have this fatherland party of Timoshenko at the Gas Princess. You got the punch party of this poor guy who's who's taken too many punches. And then you get the really ugly ones. The first one is called Svoboda, Freedom. And Svoboda is led by a guy called Chanibok. And Chanibok appears in all the academic studies of, of European neo fascism. He's in there because of his he's got a long track record of statements. He hates Jews above all. He is an anti-Semite. He hates Poles. Uh, he hates Russians perhaps more than any of these. Um, and um, Wait a minute, though. Wasn't Svoboda, wasn't Sen- U.S. Senator John McCain up on a stage posing with members of yes, Svoboda? Yes, And it's, uh, it's, absolutely, uh, it's absolutely outrageous. Um, the, the, uh, I have a friend who did a meme based on that photograph, and you see McCain thinking... Boy, if Americans were this dumb, I'd be president. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so, yes, uh, McCain, of course, goes into these situations from the hip. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know who he's meeting. Uh, and indeed, he met some people who were even worse. So Svoboda, we might call the moderate the moderate fascist tradition, perhaps, um, with this Chanibok. But he's also got um, the... the um, Interior minister, if you woke up on Saturday morning and heard that the Ukrainian interior minister had uh, warned that an invasion of the country was going on, you might wonder who is the uh, interior minister. And uh, that guy, Avakov, is a jailbird. He was held in Rome by the Italian police, kept in jail for some days, weeks, uh, as a result of an Interpol warrant for his arrest for uh, crimes of uh, real estate uh, uh, corruption and, and and related stuff. So it's a, this is a very mixed group. So Svoboda is already ideologically uh, of, of this uh, type. And so, then we get the most, the most extreme group, which is the right sector. And here I would just call, call your attention to two. One is uh, Yarosh, and Yarosh is someone who over the weekend uh, put out a call to the Chechen terrorist organization of Doku Umarov this is a you know these, these people are terrorists in the US catalog the British catalog everybody's catalog and he said now the Chechens we fought for you we came to fight for you in in your war against the Russians and even since 
and uh, now we want you to join us because we need your help against the Russians. So okay, let me just jump in here, Webster. We'll, Web, Webster, we'll take a timeout. We'll come okay. back and we'll continue to delve in this tragic situation okay. unfolding in Ukraine where it appears some uh, rather unsavory, to say the least, characters have uh, taken the reins of power. Back with more of The nice Conspiracy thing. Show. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Webster Tarpley, tarpley.net. If you just uh, go to the homepage at richardserrett.com and click on Webster's name, that'll take you right to his website. Let's just back just up a little. Just maybe one, one yes. more name. I know it's too many names, but just in this, this right sector, we did Yarosh. Yarosh is the guy who according to the website, put out a call, his website, put out a call to these Chechen terrorists to join in the fight. Now, the, the press secretary of this right sector said, oh, no, uh, this was hacked in. We didn't really do that. But it's really academic because they have a prominent leader, the guy called Muzicho, M-U-Z-Y-C-H-O. He is documented as having gone to Chechenia during the 1990s and has uh, fought with these terrorists alongside them uh, against the Russians. And he even gives you a catalog. He says, I destroyed four tanks, three armored personnel carriers, five trucks, and two artillery pieces and so forth. So he is on record as being part of a terrorist uh, army. So I think this is interesting uh, from the point of view of people here in North America. The people who blew up the Boston Marathon are indeed, some of them, their friends, the ones they pal around with and mutually support themselves, those are, are a key part of what's going on in, in Kiev. And remember, this group, this Maidan, was twenty to 30,000 at the very most, right? On weekends, of course, in a holiday atmosphere, they could get a couple of hundred thousand people to come out, right? But Kiev is a city in the many millions, and Ukraine has something like 50 million. So 20,000 uh, extremists, and you've seen them, right? These are street fighters, people throwing Molotov bottles, a very interesting dramatic film from about 10 days ago of a, of a right. uh, Ukrainian police armored personnel carrier being just overwhelmed by Molotov cocktails, policemen being burned alive, p policemen being beaten, pl policemen captured, and indeed members of the army captured, uh, by these people. So this is not peaceful. This is violent. And it's got nothing to do with democracy. There are no demands of democracy. No. There's well, no such thing. The demands Webster. are suppress the use of Russian and fire, fire Yanukovych. Okay, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about Yanukovych, the, uh, the deposed uh, president. Now, uh, he, he has been portrayed as this corrupt official. We saw the, you know, the Ukrainians gleefully, um, you know, marching on his presidential palace and, and, uh, the, the Western media was making a big deal about his collection of cars and antiques and, and, uh, you know, uh, 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 a labyrinth of escape tunnels and, and, and so forth. And I was thinking to myself watching that, wait a minute, that's the official resident of the president. Uh, the, the members, yes, you know, right. that were part of the Orange Revolution would have lived there and had the same. And it, did. Uh, uh, this Yushchenko probably lived there if, if he, if the, if the place was acquired in time, right? Yushchenko, along with Timoshenko, those were the two darlings of the, of the Orange Revolution installed by, by NATO. But so was Yunikovich, was Yunikovich, was he corrupt? Was he, uh, sure, everything? Sure, he was corrupt. Yeah. You have to remember that this, this, the country is, is a post-Soviet place, right? So, 
What happened in 1990 to 1991, in a nutshell, was the oligarchy of each individual union republic, and there were 16, played the nationalities card to remain in power as an oligarchy. The, the technical term is nomenklatura, right? That's the Russian term, or the old Russian term for oligarchy. Now they just call themselves oligarchs. So Yanukovych is very definitely one of them, and uh, I hold no brief for him. Uh, my name for him is Chicken Kiev. He is the, the real Chicken Kiev because of his cowardice and vacillation. Uh, he, he could have essentially cleared the square uh, in November or December or in January sometime, and uh, that would have been the end of it. Right? It reminds me of the famous uh, moment when Mussolini's fascists are marching on Rome. One of the leading generals, General Badoglio, turns to the king and says, your majesty, five minutes of gunfire and fascism will be over. And, of course, the king didn't want that. He wanted Mussolini, but uh, that is the way it is with these fascist uh, movements. The thing, the thing behind Yanukovych is that he was surrounded by these oligarchs. Uh, one of the oligarchs, uh, the richest, put out a statement in the last uh, week or so saying, we have to have a peaceful solution, no bloodshed, nothing... No, you know, no, no, no crackdown, right? And you were dealing with things that would have been crushed in any country of the world, right? Again, burning, burning policemen, burning police cars, burning army trucks, occupying government buildings, and rather important right. ones, right. burning down the trade union building. That's an interesting one because it shows how right-wing these people are. There was another oligarch uh, who was sort of a, in the middle, uh, not really pro-Yanukovych, not against him. Uh, and he's part of this. There's a guy called Pinchuk. He's he's a great friend of Bill and Hillary Clinton. This guy has given five million dollars to the Clinton Global Initiative. So we can assume that he was counseling, uh, you know, a soft a soft line. Right. In other words, it's the appeasement of fascism. And and unfortunately, people have to remember these painful lessons. Appeasement of fascism doesn't work. They simply escalate. One other uh, guy is important. There's a guy called Poroshenko who is a chocolate manufacturer, candy manufacturer. He is an oligarch. He's a multi-billionaire. And this is the guy who paid the stipends for the people in Maidan because they were not there on their own dime. They were getting, the, the, the humblest of them was getting $25 a day from, we think, Poroshenko. They were certainly getting this money. Okay, well, that, that... Poroshenko... That brings us to another issue. And uh, let me go back to that, that famous YouTube video that went viral. And, of course, it's the I Am Ukrainian, this beautiful uh, woman. She looks like a fashion model standing in the yeah. square in Kiev saying, you know, look what is happening to my country. Please help us and so forth. And then later reports were that that was uh, produced. I thought the lighting was a little too good, you know, <laughs> but it was it was produced supposedly by this huge PR firm. What can you tell us about who was behind not only the, the ma making of that, that video and this publicity campaign, but also who else was behind or who else is behind these, uh, these neo-Nazis that are taking over in Ukraine? Well, we, we can uh, be pretty sure uh, there's not a lot of circumstantial evidence. There's lots of circumstantial, but, but not so much detailed stuff. This is the U.S.-NATO uh, color revolution apparatus but again it's it's moved itself into a uh a, a more sinister light because of because of the fact that this was violent from from the word go and it was there were always uh guns and so forth and the content was always this 
it, you can call the content anti-Semitic, racist, pro-terrorist because of the the, uh, the connections to these Chechens and indeed this fascist tradition of Stepan Bandera, right? The the uh, the, the darling above all of of the right sector. So that's all there. Um, you can see the connections into some of these oligarchs through uh, through the, the Clintons. We can be sure that this was part of the the apparatus telling telling Yanukovych don't don't do anything. And then you have the role of the Europeans, and this is actually very interesting. Uh, in the one of the problems with Yanukovych is that he he capitulated, he surrendered repeatedly. Uh, at the beginning of February, uh, he went on sick leave, and he tried to bring the leaders of the protests into the government. He, he offered Yatseniuk and a couple of others the prime ministership if they wanted it, with so be Yanukovych as president and these other guys as, as the government, right, the government in the European sense of the prime minister and the other ministers, and they wouldn't do that. Uh, but the, the, and then later on, he, he made other... Uh, capitulations, and uh, in, in the course of this, it emerged that that uh, you know they weren't they weren't interested in reforms. They they this was very similar to Syria, right? And was, the main demand was Assad out, Yanukovych uh, out. But he repeatedly uh, demoralized his own base by by giving in to these people. And um, in the last phase, we had a, a deal signed. What well about two weeks ago right now, and in that deal, there was going to be uh, an amnesty for everybody if they left the square in the government buildings, and that that was implemented by Yanukovych, but the the people in the square then said, well we'll we'll leave here, but we'll go and seize the parliament, and we'll go and seize the other government buildings. So that is that was that night of the bonfires, right? The most right right. Surreal was the was the Tuesday to Wednesday, and then we had the, uh, the snipers ago, on buildings, right? snipers on buildings, shooting police snipers. Yeah, and again, and... you don't know who those snipers are, but no. it's pretty clear that they're not they're not only from from one side, right? That they're from from different sides. So at, at this point, um, his his support collapsed because you had sixty seven cops who had been taken prisoner, you had army troops who had been taken prisoner and were their lives were in danger, and then Yanukovych wanted to negotiate again. And here this is my point that I wanted to get to is the people who whispered in his ear were Chancellor Merkel of Germany called up Yanukovych and said, You've got to negotiate And she said, I'm sending my foreign minister. We're gonna have some foreign ministers come in and they're gonna broker a deal. And apparently this awful woman, Catherine Ashton, Baroness Ashton of the European Union Foreign, uh, foreign uh, Affairs lady, she, also, she was also on the phone with this similar siren song. So in they go with Steinmeier, the foreign minister of Germany, Fabius, the foreign minister of France, and Sikorsky of the famous family, the oligarch, uh, foreign minister of of Poland, uh, Sikorsky's uh, wife is actually a columnist here for the for the Washington Post. So these three, the three foreign ministers of Germany, France, and Poland, came in and sat down with the pro with the demonstrators, the rebels, the terrorists, whatever you want to call them, and Yanukovych, and they had a deal, uh, which was uh, elections in December and other uh, other things that that these uh, the protesters so called signed off on, and at that point. The police forces melted away, 
Uh, they simply couldn't, they had lost confidence in Yanukovych. This was sort of a, uh, a week ago Friday. A week ago this past Friday afternoon, the police just hightailed it, right? They they took French leave. They they departed from the scene. And that meant that there was no police cordon around Yanukovych's presidential buildings. Forcing him to and flee. at that point, we had Yarosh and these other people. There's one extremist of the Maidan group whose trademark is that he carries a pitchfork with him at all times. So they were getting up a week ago Friday evening saying, we, we're going to go to the presidential building tomorrow at 10 o'clock, and if uh, Yanukovych is still there, he's going to be in big trouble. So you can see that there was a direct intervention by Germany, France, Poland. There are all sorts of stories about how Sweden is trying to reassert a sphere of influence in these areas. Remember, there were Baltic nobles in Sweden who at one point had estates in Lithuania, maybe, and some of those maybe included or not so far from, from Ukraine. So all of this, this horrendous stuff from the Middle Ages is essentially coming back. Okay, let me... That's the, that's the apparatus that did it. That's let... what uh, kept him, uh, you know... Uh, you know, so he wouldn't do anything. Webster Tarpley is with us, historian, uh, author, and uh, um, harsh critic of, of U.S. foreign policy, tarpley.net, the website. Let me ask you, uh, ostensibly this, you know, going back to November, this was about the fact that uh, 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 the Ukraine uh, or the Ukrainian government was, was trying to forge ties, or they backed away from a, a closer ties with the EU, and they wanted to forge closer ties with Moscow. That's what we're told. This this is how it all started. What's it really about? Is this about the NATO intelligence and the West trying uh, to uh, to install their own puppet or uh, or pro- drive a wedge between you know Russia and the Ukraine? What's this really? What's at the heart of this? Well, concerning this this negotiations with the European Union, they were not being author, offered membership. Membership was never offered to them. They were always going to be. Uh, according to one commentator, they were going to be getting a worse deal than countries in Africa were getting, even though Ukraine is actually a European uh, country. So the deal was very bad. Uh, what was the deal? Uh, the way it works in Ukraine is the big issue is uh, heating because it's so cold, right? So you have to get natural gas. The natural gas is sold by Russia to Ukraine under a deal signed by Timoshenko, the gas princess, before she went to jail. When she was still prime minister, she signed a deal with Putin that gives uh, Ukraine a reasonable price. Right? This is supposed to be dependent on reasonable behavior. Right? If you want a political price, then fulfill the political conditions. And then the Ukrainian government resells to individuals and consumers at a lower price. So they have a subsidy. They have a gas subsidy. It's like what you find in Egypt or Syria or places like this, where there's a bread subsidy and a cooking oil subsidy and a uh, heating and uh, cooking right. know, methane or mazout or whatever, these, these kinds of subsidies. So Ukraine has this too. The first demand, the International Monetary Fund, which superintended these talks, uh, not just the EU, but the full troika, huh? meaning the International Monetary Fund was there too. They said you're going to have to abolish those uh, subsidies. This is impossible. Then they said you have to cut pensions for old people. You've got to cut medical care for old people. You've got to cut aid for children. You've got to uh, devalue the currency. And in other words, an entire brutal, genocidal, deflationary austerity program of the worst type, of the type that has failed again and again and again. In other words, they were going to get the Greek treatment and right. then some. Right. So 
uh, and, and again, not even being a member, right? You won't even get membership. Uh, and the idea was that the dumping would begin. European goods could be dumped in Ukraine. Ukraine would not get any any benefits. This this was a deal that that uh, you know nobody could could love except a NATO agent who was also you know uh, steeped in the school of Stepan Bandera and the Nazis from from the 1940s. So all right, I got to jump. I got to jump in here, Webster. Got to jump in. We'll take another time out. We come back. I want to talk. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We're back with a final segment with Webster Tarpley. Tarpley.net is his website. And uh, uh, Webster... Uh, the, Richard, oh, we have one, one question left over, if I could, yeah. from the previous time. What is, what is it really about? Well, it's geopolitics, right? If you're, if you're Napoleon, if you're Hitler, whoever you are... You want to invade, you have to go through here, right? If you want to invade Russia, Ukraine is is there, and you've got to go across Ukraine pretty much. Now, that I don't think is the immediate plan, but then there's this question of the Russian Black Sea Fleet, which is giving NATO such a hard time, right? The idea that Russia can have warships show off at Tartus, say in Syria, and contest the, the Mediterranean as a NATO lake. Well, it's not, as long as the Russians... Can, can come in, which they, they do at various points in the Syrian crisis, and they ship in weapons and, and all sorts of things. So the idea, this, the idea that, that uh, in particular the Crimea and those ports uh, is a part of Ukraine, of course, this is historically not, not the case. Right? This was Nikita Sergeyevich Khrushchev, in a moment of idiocy, decided he wasn't popular enough in Ukraine, even though that's more or less where he came from, uh, he he said, "I'll gratify the Ukrainians. I'll give them this under their administration, and then they'll be they'll be bigger, and they'll like me more." This was really, really dumb. But he was a populist, so he he did it. But of course, historically speaking, there's no question of Ukraine. There has been no Ukraine, right? Ukraine is historically important for Russia because the beginning of Christianity in Russia is in 988. The Grand Duke of uh, of Ukraine, right? Uh, of the Ruriks, Rurik, uh, converted to Orthodox Christianity. And that is the so-called Kiev Rus. And that survived until about, well, 1240 or so with the coming of Genghis Khan and the Mongols. So there was an independent Ukraine from the 900s and, you know, and even earlier until about you know, the middle of the 1200s. But then after that, they go under the Mongol yoke and they don't come out for several centuries. And when they do... It's the Russian Empire that brings them out. But later, they're, of course, split. The Ukraine of today was split among uh, Russia, to be sure, but also among Poland. Poland was a very big uh, country. It went from the Baltic Sea to the Black Sea, uh, included a lot of this, and and also with Austria getting this area of Galicia, even Romania. All right, so so, so given Russia's obvious, you know, <laughs> a strong the strong history in this region, what what was Obama thinking drawing this drawing this pink line in the sand if we can call it that, telling <laughs> Putin that he has, you know, he has no business rolling into Crimea or or the Ukraine or Ukraine. Well, on on Friday afternoon, I I was relieved. I laughed and laughed when I saw that appearance by Obama. I thought that was the most transparent pro forma attempt to get out of a terrible situation. Uh, I don't think 
I don't think Obama is the worst. Right? I think there are a lot of very foolish websites that want to tell you that Obama is the evil demiurge and so forth. I don't even think they wake him up for these things. He, he could stop it if he wanted to, and he doesn't, so that's his responsibility. But in terms of doing this stuff, I would say this is a color revolution, neocon, neo-fascist, CIA, uh, MI6, BND, DGSE, operation that just goes on and on and if you want that to stop you've got to uh shut them down and you get to defund them break them up and i would be all all for doing that but when obama showed up at the white house on friday and said uh there will be costs what he means by cost is that he won't go to the g8 uh and, and of course the, the the reason you can tell this is you have these godforsaken u.s forces in Afghanistan, and the only way they're getting out of there with their equipment is thanks to the Russian railways put at their disposition by Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin. Without that, they're going to have a Dunkirk retreat. They're going to get out of there with their shirts if they're lucky, but nothing else, right? So all of that equipment, tens of billions of dollars of equipment that's sitting in Afghanistan is going to stay there unless they can take it up to the Russian railheads and send it back over over the Russian railway system uh, into Europe. So I, I don't think anything like that is happening. On the other hand, some of these people are crazy, right? Susan Rice is crazy. Um, uh, Samantha Power, the loopy one, right? The the wife of Cass Sunstein of the Cognitive Infiltration Group. She's obviously mad as a hatter, right? She's mad as a March Hare. Got about twenty uh, seconds here, Webster. And and Kerry, I, I think Kerry should be fired immediately. If you wonder why Kerry is such a fascist sympathizer, maybe his wife is part of the picture. She grew up under Salazar fascism in Portugal, and maybe she's nostalgic for that. I often think that she is. So I would say the big thing is stay out of it. There are no Canadian interests, no U.S. interests. There's no Western interest in Ukraine. It's part of the Russian sphere. They should learn to have reasonable Governments, they should accept a kind of Finlandization if it comes to that. Right? All right. Finland did very well under that. They could too. All right. Webster Tarpley, thank you so much for this. Tarpley.net. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you, my friend. Thank you very much, Richard. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. State Secrets, coming up with Nelson Thal when The Conspiracy Show continues right after this. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature, Mr. Beale, and I won't have it. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There are no Russians. There are no Arabs. There are no third worlds. There is no West. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and imane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows. Guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor, the rich get rich. That's how it goes. 
Everybody knows. And it is, uh, actually, we're a little ahead of schedule. Normally, in the um, a little later in the program, we hear from our good friend, media scientist Nelson Thal, but uh, we've had to switch things around a little bit tonight, and so it is now time for our uh, bi-weekly segment entitled State Secrets. Nelson, how are you? Very good, Richard, and uh, things are going fine in the world. <laughs> well, one one could say that. On, on the other hand, we, in the way they should. Well, yes, wars and rumors of war. I suppose we just heard from uh, Webster Tarpley, of course, with an, an, a, a very a different perspective on what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, you know, quite uh, quite starkly contrasted with what we're being told by the mainstream media that this is not a a populist uprising. That this is in fact uh, a far right, maybe even a neo Nazi push uh, that's taken place in Ukraine with the uh, with the assistance of perhaps NATO intelligence and and uh, certain neocons in the United States, and uh, I know well, that uh, you, you had a, a story that uh, sort of you know goes along with that line of thinking. Richard, let's just point out that first of all, the owners of the system are busily giving themselves vanity awards tonight, so we can come out and play. Indeed. And uh, in the as Marshall McLuhan pointed out, we live in an age of gigantic pictorial illusionism and journalistic exaggeration of concealment. Uh, before we go on, we should mention that we've got a new Twitter site for everybody to look up the stories and keep ahead of these state secret stories, and it's State PSYOPs, correct? Yes, that's the one, State PSYOPs. That's where you, uh, if people want to uh, read these stories in more detail, they can find those on uh, the Twitter account, State PSYOPs. That's yeah, that's state. the Conspiracy Show's new uh, Twitter site. So right. let's get to it. Yes, uh, all the all the different, uh, whether it's Professor Michael Chesadovsky or uh, uh, Tom Hennigan or any of the other intelligence operatives and agents that we're in touch with, uh, there's no doubt uh, this is not a matter of debatable interpretation, but the U.S. has installed a neo-Nazi government in the Ukraine. And, you know, Richard, this isn't surprising since Prescott Bush and the Bush whole gang were already in 1942 charged and arrested by the United States government under the Trading with the Enemy Act for uh, financing 90% of Nazi Germany's war production. So once again here, uh, all the behind-the-scenes experts know that the West is engineered through a carefully staged covert operation, the formation of a a proxy regime integrated by neo-Nazis, and um, this has been confirmed by Assistant Secretary of State Victoria Nuland, uh, who actually said, point quote, is quoted, and you can go to our Twitter site and read the story, and she uh, says that she generously s- supported uh, the neo-Nazi party of Svoboda, which is a known Nazi, a neo-Nazi fascist uh, organization. Well, it, what's so frightening about this is that, uh, you know, that, that uh, these, these neocons would, would try and pick a fight with Putin over Crimea. I think we all know that Russia is never going to give up Crimea without a fight. Uh, and, yeah. and, and that's what's so worrisome here. Yeah, the importance here, remember, let's not forget the importance of Crimea. The Russians do not have a warm water port except from the, they can go from the Black Sea 
through the uh, Istanbul, through that canal, into the Aegean Sea, into the Mediterranean, and then through the Suez Canal and out to the Indian Ocean. And the importance of having an access to the ocean for an empire like Russia is vital because that's how we keep the peace today, by having submarines, Russian submarines off the coast of America are keeping the neo-Nazis in the White House and in control, the, the, the Bush junta, the, who've taken over control, are keeping them at bay, although you can see here they're trying to upset the Russians. So the Russians cannot lose this warm water port. They've been seeking, they sought for it for over 200 years, and they're not going to give it up, and it's foolhardy, and as we know biblically, there will be of wars and rumors of wars see you not be worried so this is much ado about nothing once again and we're batting a thousand people will forget about this in three weeks richard nelson thal media scientist here with state secrets on the conspiracy show he joins us every two weeks uh well i wanted to, to talk to you about this oh, will you tell me where you want to go next we've got a, a number of well, stories all right. to go. Well, you know there's a lot of interesting stories that we were going to talk about first of all the mainstream media scientists are still trying to cover up up the engineering snowstorms and geoengineeringwatch.org uh, has a very interesting list that people should look at they can go there and see the list of patents at the u.s patent office and the mainstream media has responded to the explosion of public awakening with a steady stream of disinformation none of the mainstream media stories bother to mention any credible science in their stories they ignore the patents and they ignore the terms climate engineering, stratospheric aerosol geoengineering, solar radiation management, and stratospheric aerosol injection. All these things and the patents that are held on weather engineering, and you and I have mentioned uh, Colonel Bearden's great book, Soviet Weather Engineering, all these things are being ignored by the media. Uh, I wanted to, to ask you about uh, another fascinating story, and uh, this is um, a, a study. Uh, it's a, well, it's about the drugging of America, if you will. Nineteen yeah. st- statistics, almost too crazy to believe. Yeah, seventy percent of all Americans are currently on at least one prescription drugs. Americans are addicted to legal drugs. The illegal drugs get most of the attention, but Americans are the most drugged people in the history of the planet, Richard. And you, people can read about it by going once again to State PsyOps, our web, our Twitter site, and they can uh, click on that link and get into the details. 70 million Americans are taking legal mind-altering drugs right now. These are prescription mind-altering drugs. Unbelievable. The next item that's very interesting on our, on our Twitter site is the story about something that we've been saying for a long time. And we said it uh, last show two weeks ago and before that. But um, the, the, uh, <laughs> the Americans, the Alliance for uh, – uh, um, I'll get back to the name. I can't remember the alliance. But the, the link is there. The GMO human embryos have already been created is what the U.S. government has now reported. At a meeting at the FDA on experiments to create GMO humans, it was released that the creation of genetically modified humans has already been done via in vitro experiments. So 
and we talked about how Mengele wound up in China Lake, California at the end of the war, and he was mapping the genome back in the 40s, the 50s. You take Mengele plus an electron microscope and a Cray computer, and um, you get all the clones and doubles, et cetera, that we've been talking about, that Dr. Beter talked about, and that is going on, been going on for a long time. And once again, there's a lot of Hollywood films that covered this issue, Richard. Well, the, so the FDA, they're, they're, they're talking about genetic manipulation of human eggs and embryos in order to prevent inherited uh, diseases and, and treat infertility. But you're saying that there's something far more sinister going on here. Oh, there always is. Remember, every new invention and technology is first uh, created for the purpose of military uh, and for the military arsenal. So they use the it's it's just like the discovery of E equals MC squared. They told everybody that they were going to use it to generate electricity. Meanwhile, the first thing they did with it was make a bomb. The same thing goes here. They're going to tell everybody, well, you'll be able to select the sex of your of your child, and you'll be able to use it to uh, will be able to get rid of certain diseases and breed them out. But meanwhile, what they're really doing with this initially is they're using it for military purposes to create soldiers. And, of course, uh, we know that Universal Soldier was a, was a movie that came out in the 80s. And this is they've been breeding these soldiers, and these soldiers have been fighting in Afghanistan. The beauty of a, a, a GMO or a, 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 dupe, a, a clone is that when he gets killed, you don't have to... You don't have to um, uh, advise his family because his mother and father are a Bunsen burner and a test tube. Well, you know, there are apparently 44 countries that have already uh, banned uh, yes. this this type of uh, uh, genetic manipulation. They're already call, talking about what they call the Gattaca effect, where uh, you know uh, beyond sex selection, you could it's foreseeable that uh, you could use this technology to genetically engineer children with desirable physical and health traits, and and then that raises the question about. The affordability of these therapies. Uh, there might come a day when only the super rich could afford genetically perfect children. And of course, that day is today. You may be onto something there, Nelson. Well, uh, uh, I've said to you before, Richard, we have to remember that anything that comes out publicly on the internet is is already been done. We're, the public is told 50 years, as McLuhan, Marshall McLuhan pointed out, that the arts and sciences are in the pockets of the secret societies. He named them Rosicrucianism, Popery, Freemasonry. He talked about the secret societies. We stand on the shoulders of JFK, who did his secret society speech, called it a monolithic, ruthless conspiracy. So we stand on the shoulders of these guys, and these guys already said that by the time it goes public, it's, it's, it's 50 years later that they tell the public. Just got time for one more. And I wanted to ask you about this, you know, talking about sort of Big Brother. I think we can all agree that, you know, one shouldn't drink uh, alcohol when you're pregnant. But now in the UK, they're talking about making it a crime. Drinking alcohol while pregnant could become a crime after a landmark test case. What do you make of that, Nelson? <laughs> well, I've been saying for a long time that we live uh, now in a totalitarian, under totalitarian police rule. And uh, the judges, uh, we, there's no longer three branches of government in the United States. And when you separate, when you no longer separate the judicial from the legislative, from the executive branches of government, you put it all in one, you have despotism. And this is what the people are crying out against and what you hear about on the Internet. And what we're doing on this show is to point out to people we don't necessarily have 
or uh, we don't have a fix for it, the first thing we want people to do is become aware of the problem. 90% of the solution is just awareness that we no longer live in a democracy, and this is proof that we live in a despotism state. All right, Nelson, uh, always appreciate it. And again, if people want to follow up on these stories, they'll find the links on the Twitter, State PsyOps. Yeah, our new our new Twitter site, and uh, I'll be back here, uh, and hopefully uh, in on March 16th. And I look forward to it, Richard. All right, my friend Nelson Thal, media scientist, and uh, the website richardserrett.com, new and improved website. Uh, please uh, log on, subscribe. That'll give you access to uh, special areas as members, and also uh, we're still looking for 500 of you to sign up so that I can begin publishing the uh, the newsletter. So uh, be on the lookout for that as well. RichardSerrett.com. Say hello, as always, on Twitter, at Richard Serrett, and follow the truth.